0: You're listening to the RSA Conference Podcast, where the world talks security.
1: Welcome listeners, and thanks for joining us for our latest RSA Conference Podcast, How Diversity is Key to Risk Management. While the cybersecurity industry as a whole has made strides to build diverse teams, we still have a long way to go. Continuing to move the needle forward requires that each of us do some individual reflection about not only ourselves, but also our teams. Have you ever thought about the ways in which your race affects not only your work, but the work of those across your organization? Today, we're going to discuss the value of asking that question and the reasons why diversity is key to risk management. We're joined by two industry leaders, and before we get started, I'd like to ask our guests to introduce themselves. Camille Stewart, and
0: Arthur Dean. Hi, I'm Camille Stewart, and I am Head of Security Policy at Android and Google Play. I also am a New America Political Reform Fellow and sit on the RSA Scholars Board.
2: Hi, I'm Arthur Dean. Uh, I'm a Senior Manager at Google in our security engineering organization. I'm responsible for building and managing security risk assessment programs across Google's various product areas like Cloud, Search, Android, and so forth. In my abundant free time, I'm an adjunct professor at American University, and I'm also on the Electrical Engineering and Computer Science Advisory Board at Howard University.
1: Excellent. Camille and Arthur, thank you both so much for joining us today. Camille, I want to start with you, as I know that you've been actively engaged in building allies for people of color across the cybersecurity industry. You've had several papers published and were the co-creator of the hashtag #ShareTheMic and Cyber campaign. Can you talk about your motivation and goals in the advocacy work that you do?
0: Yeah. So, first of all, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Um, Most of my advocacy work is rooted in the very reason that I work on cybersecurity issues, it is about people and complex problems. Um, To truly address the challenges that we have from a security perspective, from a legal perspective, from a policy perspective, you have to address how issues of race and systemic racism affect our solutions and outcomes and how people view our institutions and organizations. So from that perspective, from a pure content perspective, and being effective and understanding the efficacy of the tools that we're building these issues come to play, but also as a woman of color, as a um, a black woman, as a child of Jamaican immigrants, as a very intersectional person herself, I work to empower people on security issues because I feel like it is an enabling mechanism, something that could either be a great equalizer or continue to build the divide. Um, technology has so much power, and so I work really hard to make sure that disenfranchised communities that are reflected in the discourse are empowered through the things that we are creating and the the controls we seek to implement. Um, and so as a person who wants to see themselves reflected in the things that I am putting out into the world and to empower other folks to enter into this space, and as someone who at a base level wants to be good at their job. Um, advocacy and, and recognizing issues of diversity and race and gender, et cetera, um, are integral to my work. Nice, hey,
1: Thanks for sharing that. I know that today's conversation is about risk management, but it's also about being aware of how race affects our work, not only in our own jobs, but in the industry as a whole, and then specifically looking at security risk management. Camille, you wrote about systemic racism specific to cybersecurity that, quote, it hampers our ability to understand and combat misinformation and to address our society's vulnerabilities so as to prevent our adversaries from exploiting them. Can you discuss why it's important for everyone, regardless of race, to be attuned to issues of race and other forms of
0: discrimination and how they manifest themselves in their work? No group can do this alone, right? A group that the system and institutions that they're operating under was not built for them will have a hard time making change by themselves. Also, to make sure that we reflect every intersectional identity in a workforce is impossible, even in the best of organizations that consider diversity that, you know, try to build reflective teams. Um, There is going to be an identity, a race a gender, et cetera, that may not be reflected at a given point. And so it is on all of us to be stewards of making sure that we understand what and how our tools and controls will affect different groups or to recognize when you probably cannot see that and identify ways to mitigate for, account for, and to get the perspective of groups that are relevant for a given uh, policy, system, tool, et cetera. Arthur, I want to bring
1: that conversation specifically to um, risk management. A lot of times when we talk about diversity, people tend to think about race and gender, but diversity is so much more than those two aspects of humanity. The real value in diversity comes from the differences in thought and experience that human beings bring to discussions in the myriad ways that people can come together to engage in problem solving. So I'd love to hear from you about your perspective on why diversity is so important to security risk management.
2: Sure. So race and gender are definitely huge aspects with respect to diversity. Um, Gender diversity has rightfully gotten a lot of attention in recent years, and racial diversity is now at the forefront of conversation more than it's been in half a century But there are many other factors when it comes to diversity, things like age, socioeconomic status, sexuality, religious beliefs, even geography. All of those factors, in addition to race and gender, really shape a person's views and perspectives, and all of them are factors in how we identify and solve problems. When we talk about security and risk management, we're talking about preempting a wide array of global threats to our systems and information. Having a homogenous group of people analyzing, preparing for such a diverse set of threats really puts companies at a significant disadvantage compared to a diverse security organization. Cybercriminals aren't all middle-aged white men that have a wife and two kids. As such, not all cybercriminals think about the world the way that very specific demographic thinks about the world, and the tactics, techniques, and procedures of, of these bad actors are as diverse as their backgrounds. An organization that has a diverse set of perspectives is better equipped to manage a diverse set of risks.
1: And this is really a question for both of you, but Camille, let's start with you. Um, since many of my questions I've pulled from so much of the papers that you've written of late, um, so you're familiar with the language. Uh, what are some ways to create diverse teams in risk management? And part two of that is what are some examples of things each of you have done to rally the crowd or motivate people to take specific actions?
0: Yeah. So there are a lot of ways to be more intentional about hiring diverse um, candidates. Uh, job descriptions these days tend to lean on um, experiences that we have seen that traditionally make Good candidates or folks that we have seen do the work in ways that we um, appreciate. They also have become pretty cookie cutter, so they don't actually mean a lot. But the words in those job descriptions often make people self-select out. Um, so you're not even getting candidates that will apply, even if they have the actual skill sets you're looking for. Maybe not the technical acumen yet, or maybe they have, or maybe they haven't demonstrated it in the way that you're used to yet. Um, and so there are a lot of limiting language that's used in job descriptions. And so, an evolution of how we think about hiring, how we think about job descriptions is really important. Also, hiring managers need to be equipped not only with that job description, but with a real understanding and a base level of what the team needs, what the hiring manager needs, um, so that when working with recruiters, when working with candidates, they're getting to the bottom of what you are filling on that team structure and not just Things that can either be taught, will be taught, or are archaic or legacy demonstrations of a skill or ability. So many people are learning cybersecurity, learning risk management, learning policy um, in new environments, right? General assembly courses and other boot camps, they're um, getting a lot more on the job training rather than getting some of the traditional master's degrees and legal degrees and things like that. And so, this is an opportunity to evolve how you call attention to the roles that you have in your organization so that more diversity actually comes to you. Also, reaching past the networks that you have existing, the schools that you have existing, the organizations within those schools that you advertise to, um, there are a lot of opportunities to expand beyond your network. And talking about expanding beyond your network, you mentioned the hashtag Share the Mic in Cyber Campaign, and that was one of the ways that I and my co-creator, Lauren, felt that we could encourage people to expand their network beyond the usual suspects. So we rallied a group of prominent cyber allies who wanted to share their platform with Black practitioners across um, the cyber community. And on June 26th, they talked about those Black cyber professionals all day long, talked about their work, talked about their experience in the industry, highlighted um, the things they were doing, the needs that they had as practitioners to develop, the hurdles that they faced, et cetera, and really put faces and voices to this segment of our community. Um, it was a rallying cry and one that we hoped would not end with just this one-day exchange. And has really grown into a movement. There's a scholarship fund that's happening. We're in talks with you know, nonprofits to have conversations across the cyber community on how we can make this sustained action. We've seen black practitioners get board seats and um, attend courses and work with some of our allies on specific projects and initiatives. Um, and so it's really grown into a means for action, which is what we want, right? A lot of folks have a heart for these issues and really emphasize with the struggle of of black practitioners and practitioners of color, but have not really stepped into having a stomach for these issues, being willing to do the work, to stand in the gap, to make themselves uncomfortable, or maybe even in a precarious position to ensure that their colleagues are getting the same opportunities and that there's equity and justice within the industry. And so this was a, an opportunity to catalyze that. Um, and I also am just taking an opportunity to be vulnerable and talk about these things. It is never easy for a person of color to talk about the ways in which the system is not built for them and working against them. It never works in their favor. And so being candid about my experience, giving voice to other folks so that they can be candid about their experience is something that I have taken on to help open the discourse and hopefully encourage folks to have more uncomfortable conversations that then lead to action.
1: Yeah, that campaign in particular has been really impactful to me and RSA Conference, and we've, you know, connected with so many practitioners in the industry and are thrilled to be able to share a platform, to share a voice as well. So I, for one, really appreciate it. Um, Arthur, I wanted to hear from you about some examples of things that you've done to rally the crowd and motivate people to take specific action in building diverse risk management teams.
2: Yeah, uh, Camille hit on some really great items. Um, I'd go back to my earlier point about different types of diversity factors. Creating diversity and risk management really starts with recognizing all of the different types of diversity factors and creating specific and actionable goals around them. One example I think is important, especially as someone who works in, in big tech, is the impact of geographic diversity and how that has a downstream impact on race and other factors. If you're a large company that's only willing to hire 90 per, 90% of your staff in one region, chances are you're introducing some level of selection bias and limiting your pool of viable applicants based on the demographics of that one region. Um, for example, the Bay Area is roughly 50% white, 23% Asian, and 6 or 7% black, which is half the 13% black population of the US overall. A company that's only seeking to expand its business in the Bay Area is inherently and likely unconsciously viewing as hiring towards non-Black candidates. So I believe building a diverse team in risk management, or any field for that matter, really starts by taking a step back and looking at your team's geographic makeup. Where you pursue and hire talent not only has a direct impact on racial diversity, but also on diversity in religious beliefs and socioeconomic background and other factors. And as I mentioned, all of these factors can have an indirect impact on a team's ability to maximize problem solving through diversity of thought. Um, Another quick point I'll make is that true diversity means having diversity across all levels. So corporate leaders really need to shift hiring and promotion practices and be mindful of down-leveling or low-balling when it comes to adding people of color and other diverse groups. So like Camille, I've really been focused on having these tough conversations across Google leadership as well as with external organizations because making a change starts with acknowledging that there is a problem in, in having those honest, tough conversations about making positive change.
0: I just want to echo Arthur's point about diversity at all levels. That's extremely important, right? Because leadership drives culture, and if your leadership is reflective of one demographic, it will not be able to move from diversity to inclusivity, which will promote retention and actually, you know, the innovation and other benefits that we're talking about inherent in having a diverse workforce. And so I just wanted to, you know, two-finger that and say that, you know, rooting that in systems and incentives for executives is really big if you want to see the outcomes that you seek to have. So I really encourage and push organizations to make it a priority to build in and incentivize that kind of diversity in leadership and diversity throughout the organization.
1: So I wanted to follow up on that and ask... What are some things not to do, right? So we've talked about what are some things that you've done, what are ways that you can rally the crowd, um, things that you should be focusing on, but what about the not to do? How can we really be authentically inclusive without, to quote Camille again, undermining our ability to understand how all communities use technology, particularly as it relates to security risk management? What are some of the overt racist biases that get in the way, and how do we really start to dismantle those?
2: Yeah, you mentioned a really important word in in, uh, Camille's quote there, and that's understand. I think the biggest mistake we can make in this space is taking blind action without truly understanding the problem we're trying to address and the communities that we're trying to reach. Being authentically inclusive means seeking to understand those that you wish to include and, and meeting them where they are, so to speak. Instead of assuming things, we need to ask some tough questions, but from a place of seeking enlightenment. Even before asking questions, we need to make sure there's a safe space for open dialogue. That means leaving assumptions and prejudices at the door and expressing that willingness to learn from and learn about people from different backgrounds. When it comes to racial biases, there are a lot I could talk about, um, but I'll focus on something that's coded as the quote-unquote angry black man or angry black woman. This is a cloud that almost any black person in corporate America feels hovering over them on just about any given day. Uh, I'm not a sociologist or a psychologist, so I won't try to go too deep here, but there are differences in how people from different cultures emote and express themselves, and it's important that those differences are understood and accepted rather than incorrectly judged. As a black person in a mostly non-black field, there's often pressure to be hyper jovial or extra nice, anything less than that can be misinterpreted as angry, cold, rude, or some other negative adjective. I think it's really important that people keep in mind the stressors associated with being the only anything in a room. In my case, I'm very often the only black person in a room. With that comes a certain level of pressure to outperform and prove that I belong. So even if I'm having a perfectly fine day, there are likely things that are consciously or subconsciously weighing on me. Without this level of vulnerability and transparency, most people who more easily fit in would never even think about these factors. And it's quite possible that not understanding the emotions behind being the only black person in a room can lead to someone completely misinterpreting a person's mood or disposition.
1: That's a really good point. Camille, did you want to add anything to that?
0: Yes. So, definitely a great point. i also say that we are not a monolith. You know, diverse groups, whether black people, Asian Americans, et cetera, are all very different, um, culturally within the different aspects of the given diaspora, but also just as individuals as their intersectionality, um, comes into play in their backgrounds and life experiences, et cetera. And so expecting a group will have one reaction to a given scenario or adapt in a certain way is a don't do. <laughs> and something that we can account for in how we, build things and how we look at risk management and um, and one of the things that makes having a variety of perspectives of all kinds as part of a team but also is a like, fundamental in how you build inclusivity and engagement amongst colleagues in a workplace um, so not expecting the same reaction being open to what those that what that variety of reactions can be whether that's anger, disinterest, enthusiasm, et cetera, where the very same question in the very same scenario is not only are their lived experiences different, as Arthur mentioned, um, they're carrying so much in addition to, and how that intersects with those things can make for a myriad of different emotional um, and external responses that I think in this moment I encourage people who really want to be actively engaged and actively anti-racist to be open to that myriad of responses and not let it deter you and just, you know, either pivot to the next person or try to figure out what the error in that step was or that engagement and keep moving. I have another question for both of you.
1: Um, Camille, let's start with you this time. We've talked about why diversity is key to security risk management, but what about the risk management policies and procedures themselves? how do security risk management teams go about evaluating their policies and procedures to be sure they are not polarizing or failing to create equitable outcomes?
0: Yeah, so just as security policies um, and risk management policies complement security controls and traditional security, the same can happen from a diversity and bias and racial perspective. Um, especially if there's some intentionality behind understanding how a given policy will impact a different geography, a different group, et cetera. So being intentional about thinking through race implications, systemic implications of a policy, are what will make the difference between an effective policy and a policy that allows bias, race, et cetera, to be weaponized by our adversaries. Um, or to even just be less effective than originally designed or to leave gaps and vulnerabilities that you didn't anticipate. I think WhatsApp is an example I use a lot. Um, WhatsApp is used by immigrant communities very different from majority communities often. It is a source of communicating across the world for families and for communities, and the sources of the information you're getting is often someone that you really, really trust. But chain letters and, you know, these unidentified stories are often shared and um, can be a real source of misinformation, disinformation. And I imagine that until someone from an immigrant community was able to identify how information moves in a community on WhatsApp, that that was a gap in how teams were building risk management policies for users and how they were building security controls for users. And so, understanding how policy as, as a general matter can complement security controls, can complement a system or infrastructure, and recognizing that um, gaps in understanding of how that policy will land in different communities and for different people could actually exacerbate an issue, should mandate for folks that that be a consideration as you build risk management policy. Arthur,
1: did you have anything you wanted to add to that?
2: Sure. Yeah, uh, Camille touched on the key points there. She, she's a tough act to follow. Um, I'll just say that we need to keep in mind that the security policies and procedures in place within an organization can ultimately influence who has access to systems and information. So it's important that security and risk management teams think about the diverse makeup of all their end users and consider how, where, and when those users consume information Failing to do so can lead to policies that unfairly restrict information access from already disadvantaged groups and users.
1: Fantastic. Arthur, Camille, this has been such a great conversation, and I really appreciate you both taking the time to explore this topic with me. Do you have any parting words, either of you, for our listeners before we wrap up?
0: Thank you for engaging in this discussion. and thanks to all your listeners for being open to this really important topic. And I encourage you all, as I mentioned before, to be willing to have tough conversations, uncomfortable conversations. Be ready for a myriad of reactions, but don't let that deter you. Um, this is tough work, but it's important work, both from a moral and ethical perspective, but fundamentally just to do the work well and to really understand the efficacy of the things that you're doing. Um, And so I encourage folks to continue to educate themselves, to encourage them. I encourage you to continue to have hard conversations, to engage your colleagues in discussions about relevant issues, and, um, and to expand this work because it is integral to us all being successful.
2: Yeah, I just really appreciate the opportunity to have this important conversation during such a pivotal time in world history. I'm I'm heartened by the emergence of interest in doing the right thing and and support from so many angles to create more diverse and inclusive environments. I think we're still scratching the surface, but more conversations like this and, more importantly, the actions that follow those conversations will go a long way to getting us where we need to be. So thanks to RSA for having me, and, and thanks to the listeners.
1: Thank you so much both for joining us. Listeners, thanks for tuning in, and stay tuned for our next podcast coming up soon.